My name is Barry Siragusa, and this is the Hunting Hound Podcast presented by W Hunting Supply. Join us as we go deep discussing hounds and everything hound related with the men and women from around the globe who've dedicated their lives to hunting with hounds. We ask them about the game they pursue, the breeds they run, and they get their insight into what it means to be a modern-day houndsman. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Leave us a comment and subscribe wherever podcasts are available. Yeah, so I did that for a bunch of years and then got into um, got into the hounds after uh, became a vet tech and got into the hounds after I, I had a, a workplace uh, accident that sent me off a roof into the parking lot and oh, um, <laughs> I need, <laughs> needed Shoot, to be uh, needed to be operated on and, and uh, um, yeah, busted oh, wow, up my back pretty good. So I bet. Dang, man. But uh, the physical therapist was like, well, it's not a whole lot we can do for you. We can, our, our, the biggest thing you can do for yourself is to walk in uneven terrain. Right. Right. So I started walking in uneven terrain. And it was just boring as hell. I was like, oh, I'm going to start bringing a dog with me. And then after a little while, you know, the Huskies, they weren't great with that because they wanted to pull and I'd always train them to pull. Yeah. Um. But I had a couple that, that were pretty good, you know, some retirees that were kind of as about as beat up as I was at that point. Gotcha. And started taking a shotgun with me and got some birds and kind of snowballed from there. I got a bird dog and then not long after that got some hounds. Cool. Yeah. What kind of bird dog did you get? It was a little uh, like a, uh, a Vauxhallhund. Mm, I don't even know that name. It's a weird, it's a weird little, it looks exactly like a Boykin Spaniel. Okay. Gotcha. Or uh, like a liver-colored, liver-spotted um, uh, Kleiner Münsterländer. Münsterländer, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's just this little German Spaniel thing. Yeah. And um, do they move like the? Do they move like the Boykins? They do. Yeah. She yeah. buzzed all over the place. She was never. She never moved at anything. She was either snoring or, you know, running a hundred miles an hour. Yeah. She was a. She was a funny little dog. Right. So that was a, she's, so what kind of birds were you flushing? Um, the birds, most of what we have over here are like, um, you know, we've got the, the spruce grouse, like the black, okay. the black spruce grouse. Cool. Um, we've got something called, I don't even know what it's called over in English, actually. It's, huh. it's almost identical to a roughed grouse. Gotcha. Just a little bit smaller. It's got the same, you know, the black banded tail, the whole, you know, the little tuft on its, uh, right on its head, the works. Um, and that hang, that hangs out mostly in the birch forests. So we could go up and go get into those pretty quick, but mostly it was the, uh, the spruce grouse, the little, the, the, you yeah. know, the big, the big black ones. And then occasionally if we were lucky, um, we got into the caper Cayleys. Cool. But That's she was, cool, man. she was, that was, that was really cool. But she was, she was a great little dog. My kids loved her. My wife loved her, but she was, she was the worst coward. <laughs> she really was. She's, she's afraid of everything, huh? Oh, uh, she was, well, what happened? The reason I got her, cause I didn't get her until she was seven or seven years old or something like that. Oh, yeah. That yeah. She'd been a, she'd been actually not been used on birds at all. Um, previously what she'd been used for is it's a real popular breed over in Sweden. Okay. For 
and I cannot explain to you why, because I can think of a thousand other breeds that would make more sense, but right. They're used for hunting pigs. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. And that wouldn't have crossed my mind. Yeah. Not, not, it wouldn't have crossed mine either. And her, she was used for hunting pigs and these sort of driven hunts, you know, that they do that are kind of popular over here. Right. Um, and she got right up into a big pig's face and just got the snot kicked out of her. Mm. So she was afraid of her own shadow after that. So they tried to move her on to, on to rabbits because there's a bunch of rabbits down there. Right. And that didn't work either. So they brought her up here and tried to get her into like roe deer because she was actually small enough so that she went onto that minimum, that maximum height. Gotcha. That they've got over here. Mm-hmm. And same deal. She would just kind of go off, you know, she'd go out few hundred yards and then turn back and come back and sit behind you and it just wasn't into it right um and so i just just kind of decided that i was gonna i was walking anyway so i just let her do her thing and see what happened pretty soon we kind of figured it out between the two of us that you know she would uh as long as she stayed in front of me i was pretty happy and i had no i had no need for her to go out five or you know i had no need for her to range far from me so i kept sure. calling her back in and the more i called her in the happier she was you know because she was used to people trying to push her out right um so i just sort of flipped the script uh, script on her a little bit and started calling her in and, and kept her within you know 20 30 meters 40 meters of me and just used her as a flushing dog really kind of primitive yeah. you know e- easy layup stuff you know for an right. older dog learning something totally new um yeah, we had we had a little bit of success. It wasn't uh, wasn't the greatest thing, but uh, we uh, we had fun. That's cool. And then got into the hounds that you know not long afterwards, and that's that's where the focus went. That's way cool. Yeah. So you're able to get around pretty good, even though you, is your back messed up pretty bad still? <clears throat> it's still messed up pretty bad. Yeah, I've got I'm able to get around pretty well. Um, I've I've done a lot of training, a lot of physical therapy. Um, I've got, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of a long story, but I've, I've sure. got, um, some permanent nerve damage, gotcha. um, that affects my mobility in my right leg. Um, so that it makes me a little bit less stable gotcha. than I would like to be. Right. And the, um, a little bit more susceptible to injuries and things like that than I would like to be, but you know, it's, it's just how it is. And kind of focused on, you know, building up what I can. I, you know, I, I come from a, I come from a strength training background. I was, I, you know, did strongman for a bunch of years and, and did uh, Highland games for a couple of years. Cool. And I uh, was heading into when I, when I injured myself, I was actually, it was the week before I was going to start training with the Norwegian um, timber sports team. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but then that kind of put a stop to it. So, you know, I've, I've still done, I went into it with this attitude that, you know, even if I lose, even if I lose total use of that leg, I'm still going to find things that I can do. I still need to be active. I still need to be right. Be able to get out there. Um, you know, the one thing that it's one of the few things that I used to do that I can't do anymore, apart from the strength training, you know, like the strongman stuff and the Highland game stuff is, is the dog mushing. Yeah. I was going to I was wondering about that. Yeah. Cause it, it affects my ability to know where my right leg is in relation to 
it, it affects my ability to pull my right leg into my body because it's the inside of my thigh gotcha. and over my sort of my hip flexors that have been that have atrophied away at this point. Right. Um, so it was hard to keep my feet firmly planted on the runners. And in addition, you know, standing for five, six, seven hours at a time, um, just, just doesn't work. Yeah. Anymore. It's just uh, getting too beat up. I often wondered that if how, how the mushers, I'm sure there's a set of muscle groups that you guys use that we're not used to when you're just, you're stationary on that sled, but you're also moving and I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I imagine there's a whole, whole set of muscles that get strained and used that you're not used to. If a guy's similar to like riding a horse, if you haven't ridden much and then you get on a horse, you're like, holy cow. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the exact, uh, it's, it's pretty much the exact same feeling. Yeah. You get, uh, you're done after the first long one. You're just like, Oh my God, what the heck? <laughs> I've not done anything. I've been standing, I'm standing here all day. So, uh, I consider you, I consider the mushing guys pretty badass, man. Pretty hardcore to, to do what you guys do. That's yeah. That's those incredible. Guys it's are, incredible. Those they're, they're tough. You know, I've, um, I've, uh, people who, uh, people who think that we just stand there is, uh, right. That, you know, that's definitely an aspect of it, but it's, um, a lot goes into it and it's, it's, you know, and, and that's one of the positive things about the whole, the whole injury eh, is that, you know, rather than, um, it means that I can't do the dog mushing, uh, really anymore, but you know, that was, I've done that. I did that for 23 years. Wow. You know, so I did it from, I was 10 years old when, yeah. uh, you know, and it, it just, it took up my whole life. You know, I never, yeah. I never did the partying thing. I never did, you know, right. anything apart from the dog mushing yeah. you know, every free, every, all, you know, everything I did was sort of, was sort of seasonal based on what was going on with the dogs. Right. And, you know, i took the dogs with me when I got married and moved to Norway and kept doing it over here. So, um, you know, one of the, one of the positive things, and I, I wasn't done with it, you know, I did, I probably, um, or not probably, I certainly would still have been doing it now if I hadn't gotten hurt. But one sure. of the positive things about getting hurt was that it forced me to sort of reevaluate and find other interests and other things that I, that I could do. So I, I feel like it's kind of broadened my horizons in some ways, while it's sort of shrunk them in other ways, it's, it's really broadened them in, a, in, in some pretty fun ways. I wouldn't, you know, give me the opportunity to get into the hounds and get into hounds, yeah. do a little bit more writing and, and uh, get into, get a little bit more into hunting, which I've really enjoyed. Right. So that's crazy, man. 20. So for 23 years, you were basically, that's a lifestyle, right? Oh, like for what, sure. you're, what you're saying is consumed your life, but it was, that was your life. It was your life. That's who oh, you were. Totally. That's, yeah. And so to lose that, that's, I, I, I can't imagine losing bird dogs. That would, that would uh, take a lot of reflection for me to, to figure out what was next. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I might, you know, I, I don't want to make it sound like I just, you know, you know, took it took it like a seal, you know, sort of a, <laughs> I, I definitely didn't. I got, I got enormously fat and drank entirely too much and yeah. uh, for, yeah. for about six months there. And then I was like, you know, I really need to get my shit together. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. So I, I did not, uh, I don't, I don't want to give anybody the false impression in case my wife no. listens to this, honey, 
I, yeah. I know I didn't handle it very well the first. Didn't months. handle it well. <laughs> my wife informed me today that I better that she does listen to my podcast, so I I better make sure I pay attention to what I'm saying. That's good. You have yeah. boy, you have a couple of boys too, right? I do. Yeah, I've got uh, I've got Odin who's turning seven here in a couple of days, and then Ivan who's uh, turned nine. Some months right on. Yeah. What about you? You've got kids. I've yeah, I've got four kids. So I have Kobe, who just turned thirteen, and then uh, Kyson, who's tw- almost eleven. Eleven. He'll be twelve next year. He'll be eleven in September. Uh, Kinsley, who's eight, and Kip, who is four, going on ten. That's so awesome. wow, we're, we got a lot going. It's it's it keeps you hopping. I don't know. Oh, for sure, man. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh it's the kids the kids thing is nothing has put me outside of my comfort zone i mean i've been i've been i've gone through the ice and 30 below i've been stuck in the wind i've all of this crazy stuff nothing has put me out of my comfort zone more than being a father being a dad yeah Yeah, it's just like you know i look at my son who's nine and he'll he'll like he'll you know just suddenly make some observation or make some comment that it's like it's like nine going on 40 and it's like, what is this right. kid going to be like when he's, when he hits his teens? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're they're man. They, you think you, there's times when you're like, are you listening? Knock, knock. Are you in there? Yep. And then there's times it's like, you pick that up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what, what, did, what did you observe there and learn? So it's, they, right. they absorb a lot. I've, I've learned that part is they absorb, they might be quiet in the background, but they're listening and they're learning. For sure. Are your, do your kids do, are they into the dogs as well? Yeah, they help a ton with the dogs. Um, Kobe and Kyson are, 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 Kyson's really into the hounds. He likes going hunting with me a lot. Kobe likes to go, but Kobe's just as happy as stopping and getting donuts and making mm. sure that the truck has lots of goodies. And, but Kyson's into the hounds. Kobe's into training the hounds. And then my little girl loves all, my little girl loves all dogs. So she's about it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. She's, she's in the middle of it. She loves all the puppies. I think my boys have, my two older boys have been immersed in it for so long. They're kind of like, ah, it's just a dog, you know, another litter of puppies, no big right, deal. Right. So for them, it's, did you start the training of the dogs before you got it, before you had kids or did that sort of get become a lifestyle or, or for you after your kids were born? So I've been, training bird dogs since i was 15 yeah and so competing you know when i was younger and doing hunt tests and stuff like that and then uh served an lds mission and went to brazil for two years came back and married my wife and then had i had an insurance business for like seven years okay and i was gone a lot i was building that business from scratch so kobe we finally kind of get it, got into the bird dog stuff. We transitioned from the insurance company to training for the public full time. And Kobe was kind of like that three to four year old range somewhere in there. Sure. And yeah. he, so yeah, at that time he was like, he's, so he's been involved. They've Kyson and Kinsley and Kip have all been involved in the bird dog stuff, but right. that was part of the reason we got into the bird dog thing was to be able to spend more time at home. Right. I was miss I was missing baseball games and missing this and missing that and getting up in the morning and leaving before it was light and coming home when it was dark and yeah. I didn't get to see my kids much so it was like okay yeah. we'll 
we can we can manage our time a little better. That's one of the reasons we started our kennel. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Are you the the dogs that you're bringing in? Because you you do some breeding as well, correct? Yeah. Are most of the dogs that you're that you're training now from your from your kennel for people who have bought pups from you, or or do you have probably fifty percent right around yeah, there, that, fifty to sixty percent? That's pretty sweet. Yeah, that's really nice. Is that's, that an easier uh, dog to train for you in some ways, just because you know a little bit about where it's coming from? What yes. The, sort of what made the parents tick, that kind of thing? Yeah, that helps. Um, natural ability, having a dog that will naturally do things, that's a big bonus. I mean, we started our our kennel as a training facility. We were training full time. We didn't breed at all. Hmm. And then after a few years, we kind of got tired of fixing everybody's junk <laughs> pardon i don't know you know fixing a lot of crap or dogs that had a lot of holes in them and they just didn't have the genetics yeah. you bring me a pointing dog that didn't point so now what do i do you know i call a guy and tell him and his wife and three kids that this dog's not going to hunt right. doesn't have any desire to hunt so right. that's what that's what spirited the breeding program was hey let's get a dog these people want a short hair or a Brittany or a pointing dog let's get them a dog that has a ton of these natural instincts so that they can be successful Sure. That makes sense. You know, that makes sense. Now are the, are the, are the Britneys you have? Cause like, I, I don't know a whole lot about the bird dog world, but I know over here that they've got two different lines or two different strains rather right. types of Britneys. You've got the flushing Britneys and then you've got the pointing Britneys over here. Hmm. What are you breeding? So we're breeding the American version of the Britney. That's a pointing dog. Okay. And then more so, somewhat popular in the States is the French version both both versions are high big on the pointing side mm. okay whereas some of the other spaniels are more flushing dogs right 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 so like the springer spaniel would be a flusher yeah. um and then the america britney's got enough point in there okay so yeah we're breeding the britney's and we're breeding the short hairs and then we're training just about anything for the public anything right. that'll hunt yeah, the short hairs are that's a that's an interesting breed to me because that, that's that's one of the few hunting dog breeds I was really familiar with from my years in the dog mushing world. Oh yeah, because it was the short hairs that were bred into the northern breeds to give them the speed. That's where you got these insane sprint dogs that they've got now that are doing, you know, thirty miles at you know in in two hours like they're wow under two parts you know sub two hour thirty mile rounds wow. Just I've heard that, but I, don't, yeah. I didn't know what it really meant. Yeah, it's, you know, the, to, to course, sort of put it into, into context, you know, the average, your average long distance team is going to keep an average of between somewhere between eight and 12 miles an hour. Right. And then you get into some of these very short sprints with like the four dog teams, these great big, like, uh, you know, German wire herd pointers. Right. Um, and you know they'll they'll be up in the in the high twenties. Wow. And then you've got the like, and then you've got that sort of middle ground with the 15, 20 plus mile runs where they need the endurance, but they also need the speed. And you know, those guys, they're they're still doing obscene speeds. You know, they're still there. It used to be that they would be, you know, in the eight, 16, 17 mile an hour, you know, and now they're now they're right up there around 20. 20. That's crazy. For, uh, yeah. For extended periods of time. So it's there. Those are, 
those are tremendous, tremendous athletes. But for whatever reason, you know, you would, uh, you would think that a dog like that, if you slowed them down to that eight, nine, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11 miles per hour, that they'd be able to do that forever. And that's not the case. Not the case. No, they don't, they don't recover as quickly as the Northern breeds for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah. They're just not, just not built that way. I would, I would guess. I think that's partially it. I think it's also, if you feel, you know, if you, if you put your hands on a, on a, you know, say a 60 pound German shorthaired pointer, uh-huh. and then you put your hands on a 60 pound Alaskan Husky, right? that Alaskan Husky is going to be two or three inches taller at the shoulder. Yeah. It's a much rangier dog, you know, whereas the pointers yeah. will muscle up and that's a lot of muscle that needs to be oxygenated and Right. It's a lot of muscle that, you know, the, the other biggest thing is it's a lot of muscle that needs to be kept warm. Right. You know, which is where they've struggled in, you know, at least over here is that, uh, you know, they're good until they've burnt through that fat, you know, whatever reserve of calories they had in their system. And then they start to struggle. Struggle. Yeah. So, yeah. Occasionally I'll get people that'll call me and ask me, Hey, well, my, I want a German short hair and I'm going to hunt ducks and sub, you know, sub-zero temperatures for 20 days straight and i'm like no you need a lab <laughs> you need yeah. a dog that's designed for you know built built for that exact thing that you're gonna do absolutely you wouldn't stand up on the the t-box on t1 and grab the putter and try and drive the ball so don't don't buy a short hair and try to pigeonhole it into being a lab you know there's dogs that were bred for exactly what you're after but that's neat to know that they that's kind of cool to hear that they're doing short kind of sounds like a short blast then huh yeah short, that's what shorter shorter distances but at a higher speed absolutely and they they're they're unbeatable i mean there's nothing they've tried breeding in greyhound they've tried breeding in you know other types of hounds i i, right. I knew a guy who he wanted a little bit more hound um in his long distance dog so he went and bought a, a dry ground lion dog from somebody down in New Mexico. I cannot for the life of me remember who it was Hmm. and bred that into his dogs, hoping that that was going to make, you know, give them the, uh, the the tough feet and the tough attitude of a dry, you know, dry dry ground lion dog, but it did, that didn't end up working out for him. Didn't work. Um, But for whatever reason, the combination of the, yeah, the German short hair and the German wire hair pointers seem to be, seem to complement the northern breeds really well for some reason gotcha so they're doing like a the breed would be like a quarter quarter short hair or a half i mean how much of that dog they're breeding actually has is a short hair um yeah i mean it's going to be anywhere from you know there's there's a couple of halves that can hang at that kind of intensity but a lot of them you're going to be getting into like the quarter 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 you know quarter eights kind of gotcha that, that that area Um, but that's for those, that's for those longer distances, you know, when, when you're getting down to the real sprints, you know, the, the, the five or six miles, Uh then people are running like there's, there's a whole line of, of German wirehead pointers over here that are not even used for hunting anymore. Mm -hmm. They're bred specifically for, um, yeah, running. That's cool. Which is pretty interesting. Yeah. Cause they've lost all of their hunting instincts. It's pretty, it's pretty fascinating to see. Wow. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen some, some show, like some show lines, we call them the show lines just because people are breeding for specific, you know, confirmation traits Yep. and they'll, and I've seen them breed the hunt right out of, 
certain dogs. So that's tragic, man. It's I've it's been my pet peeve since before I got into the sled dogs. I had uh, an AKC registered lab that I did some obedience competitions with. Not not many of them, but I just got even from a young age got so disenchanted with the purebred. Uh, world and the the reason being is that he didn't fit the breed standard he was a little bit too big he too wasn't tall. he wasn't real chunky he was he was you know not the he wasn't the best red lab you know he, sure he was he was tall and lanky looked like he could have been part great dane <laughs> you know but you know i had i had people that i was eight or nine you know, I had grown adults coming over and just tearing into that dog, you know, mm. giving me all kinds of crap for showing up with a dog that wasn't, you know, didn't meet the breed standards. And what was I doing here? And I should go sure. home where are your parents, that kind of stuff. Sure. Just kind of turned me off from it. And, you know, then seeing, you know, seeing what the, some of the breed standards have done to, uh, you know, some of the show lines, how much of a how far they've gone from right what the breed was originally intended for you know a perfect example is the is the siberian husky gotcha you know the siberian husky was the ultimate long distance dog 150 years ago wow and now there are show lines that will collapse after five or six miles doesn't surprise me which is just tragic man it is it's uh, sad it's why I had the Alaskan Huskies because they're, you know, it's a mixed breed, but it's a breed that's bred for, for performance. Right. In a specific arena. And yeah. um, it made for some super, super solid, super healthy dogs because the healthy ones just didn't last. Right. Or sorry, the unhealthy ones didn't last. It's and interesting to me that you were, you mentioned that because a lot of the wire hairs that I've trained, um, they're so versatile that... I can, you know, you can get them to do just about anything. Same with the short hair, pretty versatile dog. But to yep. hear that they've actually almost bred the hunt out of a wire hair, that is, that's mind boggling to me because most of the dogs that I train are pretty, I mean, they're intense. They're another level of intensity. A lot of times the wire hairs and the Griffons are another level of intensity above the short hairs that we breed, um, you know, to the point where it's like, hey, there's a neighbor cat. And it's a full on, I'm going to kill that cat, like get right. away. So, right. It's, that's, Do you find that with other breeds crazy. as well, that the wire haired version of the, of the breed is a little bit, a little bit sharper, a little bit more intense, a little more intense. It seems that way. It does seem like that. I don't it? know. I don't know if there's any <laughs> genetic back, you know, I haven't done any studies to, to back that up, but it seems that those dogs are a little more intense yeah, and maybe it's curious just about it. I'd be curious if somebody had had done any kind of, or if somebody, if any of our listeners can knows anything about this, please, please write it and let us know. Cause you know, like over here, they've got the Bassets and then they've got the wire haired Bassets and they've got the Dachshunds and then they've got those wired haired Dachshunds. Really? And the, hmm. the, if you're a hunter, there's just almost no question what you're going to be going for. Really? It's going to be the wire haired. Wow. They're just a much, much more intense, prettier, huh? yeah. pretty dog. That's interesting. In both of those cases, which is, which is interesting. 
I bet if you do some digging, you're going to find that it goes back to somewhere, some breeding, some breeding that somebody's did. I mean, we're, yeah. I'm so fortunate today. Yeah. To, Terriers or something. Yeah. To have something that the reason the dogs that we have today are for, from those breeders that have done work, you know, hundred years ago, they started the chain and absolutely we're able, we're able to continue it. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's something that I, um, it's something that I've noticed a lot recently. I know I used to notice it, but I, I've noticed it a lot recently that you've got, you know, these kind of, these young guns coming into these different sports. And, you know, I've only been in the sport, you know, hound sport for a few years and with, with almost no respect for the people, th these legendary figures, both dogs and humans sure. and the trainers and the hunters that, that, you know, the, the amount of information, you know, especially with all of these great books out there, you know, Advance's book and, and, you know, Slash Ranch, Ranch Hounds and all, you know, all these, you know, Meet Mr. Grizzly, all these great books where you can go where they actually detail fairly specifically how they got to where they got. Right. And, you know, all of the dogs are, are, have been improved from, you know, maybe not from generation to generation, but the, you know, if you look at the sort of a graph and the curve, I think the, the quality of the dog has gotten more and more consistent. Sure. And to be standing there and thinking that you're God's gift to, <laughs> you know, hound hunting. And when you've got a, you know, you've got a, you know, that you're, first dog comes from Roy Clark or something like that, you know, it's, it's going to be, you know, may, maybe you should be paying a little bit more attention to what, what got those people there and a little bit less of no attention doubt. to uh, your, your own ego. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I have a deep respect for those guys that have, you know, some of those guys, some of the gentlemen that we were able to work with and, and start kind of our kennel, our breeding program, our guys that have been breeding for 40, 50, 50 years, you know, and mm -hmm. so they're, they had dedicated a portion of their life to, to genetics and breeding the best dogs they could. And so that, that just propels us. So I, yeah, I have a deep respect for them. I hope, I hope when I got started, I wasn't the young gun that, that made them all upset, but I, well, I, you know, I, I think if you, yeah, I, I'm betting we all annoyed them a little bit. That's fine. Annoying them with all the questions. Right. That's, that's fine. That's part of it. Right. But, but the, uh, the more you mature, the more you realize how much they did. And that's, it is awesome. I, it, it really is, is. Yeah. I, I, uh, I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. So what, um, what made you get into the hounds though? Like, cause you, you had, a. Yeah, I, I would assume that it wasn't because you had a lot of downtime. No, it wasn't downtime. <laughs> In fact, when I, uh, so I, I was running the insurance business and the guy across the hall had a title company and he, he, he had, he was into bear hunting pretty high, heavy and lion hunting. Okay. And he was just, just his stories intrigued me. And I was like, okay. And then he took me on a lion hunt. I finally drew a tag. I had to put in uh and draw a tag it took five or seven years i think it took me six or seven years to draw a tag oh, and wow. then when he took me it was like you know we were getting up at two in the morning and cutting roads and trying to find a track and the dogs watching the dogs work and trying to you know figure out this mess of a lion track that had traveled through the night before it just all intrigued me and we i was able to finally harvest a tom with him 
and uh, just total different level of dog work. And so, I don't know. I've always been drawn to animals. I, I love horses too. I love, I like a lot of dog. I like a lot of animals, but mm. just watching him work with his hounds and then that just sparked something, but it wasn't eight or 10 years later until I, I finally got my first dog. So. Is that right? Wow. Yeah. So it was a slow, that was a slow burn. Yeah, it yeah. was. It was like, it, I got introduced to it and it was really cool. And then part of it was the challenge for me was like, okay, I could train a bird dog in my sleep now. Right. Like I, it's, it's the challenge of, Hey, can I take a dog and, and teach him to track this piece of game and put it in a tree and, you know, have a dog that's got the intelligence to do that. Absolutely. I'm seeing an apex predator <clears throat> up until that point, you know, I'd never seen a mountain lion in a tree. And so right. we treat a really nice Tom that we didn't kill. We didn't, we weren't able to harvest and he was just, it was just something about that walking under a lion tree and having a 160 pound Tom just sitting there. I mean, his muscles are ripped and yeah, they're just majestic, man. I mean, they're awesome. I'll bet they are. Yeah. I've, uh, I have, I don't think I've ever seen a mountain lion. I thought for years that I had, and now, uh, now I'm a little bit curious whether it's the sort of mob mentality. It's right. Uh, it's, it, it, I don't remember it well enough now to be a hundred percent sure that I saw one, but, uh, but well, if you yeah, ever they, get out this way, come, come find me. We'll, Oh, I definitely, go I definitely find a mountain. Would that. that would be awesome. That would be awesome. So what, uh, tell me a little bit about your dogs. Like what are, what are you running these days? Uh, for most of my, yeah. yeah. Most of my pack is blue tick hounds. Um, yeah. most of them go back to some smoky river bloodlines, a little faster paced, I started off with a lot of Walker dogs and I had a pretty good, a great mentor that, that he, that's his favorite thing is walkers. Mm -hmm. But, um, there was some times there where I could hunt, you know, three, four five days straight. And my, the Walker dogs, even though I would road them and build their feet up, they just couldn't, their feet couldn't handle what we were throwing at them. And so yeah, kind of went on a hunt for a better footed dog. And coming from bird dogs, I mean, I, I knew what it was going to take. I mean, you could just pull up a walker's pad and look at it and more of a, a bigger footed dog, more, his, his feet were more splayed out and yep. instead of being tight and form and the pads were more of a whitish pink color. And so yep. I knew the pigment there was going to make them weaker just yep. by, just by default. Yeah. So I, I really went looking for a tighter footed, strong footed dog like I had in my bird dogs. And that's kind of where I got to the blue tick stuff. And, and, um, that's interesting. So it was, it was actually feet that motivated you to go the direction that you did. Yeah. That exactly. That's, exactly that's really interesting. That's really interesting. Cause that's, cause that's, and I, that actually psychs me. I'm psyched to hear that because I've got, I've actually taken a little bit of heat over here for, <laughs> For, for being fairly, uh, <sighs> for some reason, the Norwegian words stuff popping into my head, uh, it's uh, for being really, you know, having high expectations for what a dog's foot should be able to handle based sure. on all of my years with Alaskan Huskies. Right. And, you know, I've got a, I've got a walker uh, right now, a running walker, and she's, you know, gritty as all get out, faster than hell has a great nose, but her feet are terrible. <laughs> That's so frustrating. To and me. it's so frustrating. Cause if you put, if you could put that dog on a dog with, you know, good feet, you'd really have something. No doubt. 
but you know, she's a dog that I can run, you know, I can maybe run that dog once a week. I mean, and, and that's like, not even joking. That's because yeah. she's, she's gritty enough to do, you know, six, seven hour run, you know, six or seven hours. And then she's done. Done. You yeah. know, she's got her, she's, she has to heal at that point. It's not, we're not talking about recovery. We're talking about healing. healing. Wow. And that's, um, you know, that's, that's been a major source of frustration for me. It was one of the things that motivated me to get the pup that I got. Um, uh, the plot pup. No, the, uh, the original, the, the second hound, um, Buzz. Buzz. The big brown. And what's his, what's his breed? Um, he's, a, he's a mix. That's another mix. thing I took a lot of heat for. <laughs> Had a bunch of people. It's, it's the funniest thing. As soon as you start like, putting yourself out there. Oh, yeah. It, it like, invites people to come with their opinions, which is the, oh, yeah. which is the funniest thing. So I bought Buzz and Buzz is his mother is a purebred Russian hound. Okay. Which is this big saddlebacked, um, you know, black saddle, but otherwise tan dog um, that was bred in Russia based off of Borzois, Hmm. which are like the, like the long haired uh, sight hounds. Okay. Um, Real. They were used for hunting wolves. They were big. Big, big wolf hunting dogs. Big dogs. Gotcha. Uh, and they crossbred a Borzoi or some several boy Borzois. This was like a big project to um, bloodhounds. Really? So you got the length of the leg and the coat from the Borzois, and then you got the the sort of black saddle and the coloring um, and the nose from from the bloodhounds. They did get the nose. That's what they, they were after, huh? They did. And, and this was, this was you know, a um, hundred years ago. Sure. This all went down and then they bred, you know, they, they continued to do those crosses and then selected very, very hard on the dogs that were able to, uh, you know, use their noses and weren't just running off of sight and, you know, had sort of had that combination of qualities that they wanted. And they, they managed to create a fairly nice dog. I, I like the Russian hounds quite a bit. That's cool. Um, but, you know, they are, they are ultimately a little bit better suited for some of the bigger open areas in Russia. You know, yeah. I, I noticed that with Buzz, he's a little bit too big when it comes to, you know, because where I live right now, you know, I live, I live on a steep valley side. It's steep everywhere. Wow. And I can see that, you know, his body is big enough. So we're running up and down these mountains. Right. It, it takes a beating in, in ways that he doesn't care about, but I'm aware enough about you know, based on, again, my background with the Huskies to be aware right. that he's going to beat himself up. Um, yeah, you're looking six years down the road going, yeah, I know what this is going to do to your body. Ex- exactly. You know, I, I, I bred, you know, I bred Alaskan Huskies for, you know, I, I probably ran Huskies for pretty close to 10 years before I did my first breeding myself. And that was out of necessity. That was after I moved to Norway. Gotcha. Um, and it was because the dogs that worked really, really well for me in the forests in Maine, I suddenly got up here to, you know, where it was 10, 15 degrees colder and open and windy and just gnarly. They weren't really functioning. Hmm. So I had to start breeding to something that was um, going to be able to handle the conditions and also going to be able to handle the steep terrain here, which was unusual even for Norway. That's interesting. Um, so, you know, for me, there's, there's a couple of things that I look at that w- when I'm looking at breeding and when I'm looking at getting a dog that 
it surprises me that not more people that, that people don't care more about it. There are definitely people who do. Sure. But, you know, one of them is feet. The other one is longevity. You know, I yeah. don't, I don't want to have to switch out my hounds every, every four or five years. Yeah. You know, I would much, much rather have a hound that I can, I enjoy the challenge of training puppies and things like that. But I, I also enjoy that sort of long, dis, you know, that long, long perspective relationship with a dog. Sure. Um, and, you know, that's, that's important to me. So it's why I'm real careful with uh, the type of terrain I'll let Buzz run on. And, or I, I was real careful. I'm less careful now just because now he's fully grown. Sure. You know, but when he was a pup, I definitely was aware of where I was letting him go. And, you know, I, I, I ended some, I ended some races, um, you know, where in terms of his development as a hunting dog, I probably shouldn't have, but in terms of his overall development physically, physically. it made sense to call it a day. Yeah. And, um, he's, he's become a much, much better hunting dog than I, uh, had any reason to expect that he would based on my own experience level. Gotcha. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm real happy that I was careful with his body because he, he developed into something that I was not capable of training him into. Right. I was capable of getting out of his way and letting him develop. Yep. But he learned, he does a lot of things that, um, you know, with this, with this plot pup, for example, where I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to really deliberately think about how I'm going to go about teaching him those same things because Buzz did a few things you know, naturally, naturally that um, I've not seen. I've not seen a lot of other dogs do over here, you know, cause you got to keep in mind that we've got this, we've got this whole thing where you can't let more than one dog loose at a time. Yeah. That's crazy. So I can't even use, I can't even use Buzz to train up the young dog. Oh, that just blows my mind. <laughs> it blows my mind too. It's so, it's so frustrating that, you know, that, that and the, uh, the, the training collars, you know, breaking them off the trash and things like that is it's right. just, that's a challenge. It is a challenge. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm still playing with, uh, playing with how I'm going to do that. I don't think full, I don't think people would, uh, look kindly at me. The, the thought of investing in a, uh, a paintball gun sniper rifle crossed my mind, but I don't think anybody's <laughs> going to appreciate that. That's funny. Yeah. You got You got to give credit where credit's due. I mean, some of those guys that would train dogs, you know, in this late, late sixties, early seventies, they just didn't eighties, didn't even have the same tools that we have today. And it's like, I know it's unbelievable. Ton of reputation and a ton of patience. And yep. I mean, talk about having a bond with a dog you know there became a there became a i i think a huge need for hey when i say it's time to go home it's time yeah like, oh know, absolutely instead of just blowing through the country and see catch me if you can so. absolutely you know and and i think it's it's been it's been interesting i i remember some of the same stuff in the dog mushing community as well where you get this this new equipment and this new these new you know the something that will revolutionize the sport in some way. Sure. And everybody goes, goes for it. And it, you end up with this sort of where everybody reaps the benefits of this new equipment, but then you, you, 
people aren't quite careful enough to take a step back and think about what are the possible, what, you know, what are the possible negative sides to this? Yeah. And I think that that's what we, we've gotten into a little bit with these, you know, with the GPS systems and, and, and things, the training collars, are they, are they here to stay? Absolutely. Do I, do I want to go out without any of, without them? I do not want to. Right. I, I, it's not something that I'm looking back on with, you know, training my Huskies on to come to me. Cause that was another thing, you know, that was something I did with the Huskies is I trained them to, so that they would drop everything. So if I got into a bad situation, yeah, out, how did, out, how did you train that? Same, same deal as what you just said, just constant repetition, repetition and, you know, needing to run dogs down, yep. you know, needing to, needing to leave dogs, needing to hook up the rest of the team and just go without that dog, just knowing that them. that dog is pack is, has such a pack mentality that right. it's eventually going to find us again. And maybe it's going to be a little quicker to listen to me the next time. You know what I mean? It's, it's just, it's, <laughs> it's. So, it, so if you had a young dog that wasn't listening, you would basically hook up the team and just blitz out of there and leave him yep. intentionally, intentionally saying, Hey, Hey dude, you better come. I got you. Yeah. Yep. And, so you know, do I you bring, think they, do you think they learn with, uh, you leave them two or three times that you think they learned, man, they, they left. I, I better pay attention. Yeah. You know, cause what, uh, you know, a, a lot of the times what I'll do is I don't want a dog up in the team, a loose dog up in the team. No, they'll run up. They'll run up after me on the sled, for example. Right. And they'll want to be up with their buddies right. and my trail, I break out myself. So it's not much wider than the sled anyway. So they need to stay, that dog needs to stay with me and behind me. And I don't make that dog's life particularly pleasant. You know, I'm not beating on it or anything, but it, no. you know, that, that dog needs to, that dog needs to fall into line, whether it wants to or not. And it's going to have a much, it's going to have much more fun being up there in the team than it is going to be, you know behind me with me throwing snowballs at it to keep it from, you know, pass, trying to pass me and getting messed up and, you know, in the team. Right. Um, so usually, you know, usually that, I think at the most I had, I, th I think at the most I had a dog do that three times, three times, you know, most of them got it after the first, the first time that happened, or it was just like, you know, and I, it's something I also started with them when they were puppies, you know, where I, I was going to say that that the was end of something that <clears throat> you communicated, but you'd already done some groundwork. I'm assuming you'd already done some work before then. A bunch. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Cause it, you know, one of the things I used to do with the puppy litters is I would always, I never liked running puppies on a, like letting them tear around on a full stomach. Mm. Um, we would always do their exercises, their walks, whatever, before I fed. Gotcha. And if that pup didn't come when I called it, when I called them in to be fed, Sure. The gate got shut and that pup missed out. Right. You know, and I fed three or four days, you know, I fed two or three times a day, depending on the age of the puppy litter. So it wasn't going to be much, you know, it wasn't going to be like yeah. the next day. Right. It was only going to be three or four hours until they got fed again. But still, it was just that psychological, like, oh yeah. man, this has my actions have consequences, you know? Right. Right. Um, That's awesome. So, and I, I, I've done the same I've done the same with the hounds because I, it's so important to me to have that, that handle on them, you know? Yeah. And it's, I think that that's something that once, as soon as the GPS is rolled up, a lot of people lost. Yeah. Yeah. I, I often catch myself thinking, 
I don't know. I've had some people comment lately on on like, why are you doing, why do you do so much leash work and and long and long line work? And it's like, well, I've been doing this long enough to know that if I skip those steps and go straight to the collar, mm-hmm. that my chances of being successful there are less. And if I do have a, a hiccup or a mistake or a confusion there with the dog, I have nowhere to fall back to. Right. So just because I've trained so many dogs and so many mistakes, it's like, it's not even worth it for me to skip those steps. And could, could I run a dog off of just a knee collar? Yeah, I could. Cause I've trained thousands of dogs at this point, but, but it's just not even worth it to me. It's, not, it's right. like, no, I will start on step one ground one level zero because I, I know if I'm going along in this process and the dog gets confused or frustrated or makes a bunch of mistakes, I've got somewhere to go back to regain his confidence and then move forward. Absolutely. Yeah. When you say long line, like with a, like with a hound, how would you use a long line with a A lot of the long line stuff I do on the bird dog is to create a pattern and create a bond. It's kind of like a focus drill, right? Like, Hey, I'm going this way. Now I'm going this way. And so we create this pattern with the dog, with the bird dogs on the hounds. We don't use it as much for that reasoning. Just recall. We just do a ton, a ton of stuff with the young pups starting off dragging dragging a line and then increasing that line and then doing some recall work and once we get him coming you know with a kibble and then just the long line work and affection that 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 gives me some more some type of base to start off of and then you can also one thing that we like to do is make sure that the e-collar is not this negative uh, doesn't carry a negative connotation or a weight in the dog's mind. Right. So if I've taught this dog to come to me with kibble and then I add a layer of pulling on, tugging on the long line, giving the kibble, and then I tug on the long line and I nick the collar simultaneously, it's just another level in their mind of, Hey, okay, come this way. It's another level of touch. Sure. And so I'm able to lose the line and just use the sensitivity, you know, so really low sensitivity like a two or a three on a Garmin yep. and you just touch them on that and they go, Oh, Hey, that's almost exact same. That's the same. Dad means the same thing. If he pulls on the line as he does a Nick on the collar. Right. Right. And right. in their mind, it's just like, Oh, he's got a 500 foot rope instead of right. a For 10 sure. foot rope. And so that's such a, a fine balance though, isn't it? It's, it's, it's having those, having those different, different ways of saying the same thing. Yes the balance between having that, having those different ways where you say the same thing and being inconsistent. That's a, that's hairline, man. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a knife's edge. And I, I have ended up on the wrong side of that more times than I'm, you know, uh, like to admit it, but it's so, it's so important. It's like you say, it's, it's that foundation that you can fall back on. Right. Where, you know, you have that, where, where those dogs have that natural, you have you you have the ability to then hit that reset button yes and get you know zero them out get them back to square one and just be like okay we're gonna try this again reset yep right instead of blowing them up and then trying to bring them back down you know because it just doesn't work yeah then what do you do that's that's when people call me and say hey i've got a problem right and and the biggest problem was is they they stepped they missed all the steps in between and so I, what I, what do I have to do when I get the dog, we go back to level one, step one, and we go through it yep. and we, and we teach him how to, in essence, what you're doing is teaching the dog how to think, how to learn. Yep. That's what you're doing. Right. It's like, it's not, 
do we do all that line long long line work just because we want to have a dog that patterns yeah but i also want him to realize what a cue on the rope means what a nick on the e-collar means what it means to come and move with me all those things add up you know i mean you got hundreds of little things in that dog's mind right that mean something might not mean a lot to you and i but to them it means a ton and so absolutely yeah, it's pretty so yeah I, I can see and i've had i've had a lot of people that i've hunted with that are a little older and they're saying you guys you know they're saying things like you don't know how well you have it with the garmin running these hounds because we just had to take off and try to keep up with them you know right there's, there's no doubt it saved my save my tail bunch getting dogs out of bad bad areas or a hundred percent i mean i would have lost i would have lost my i would have lost buzz um you know if if i hadn't had a uh, garment on him um because he went through the ice and i could see that he had gone through the ice because i had him on the garment and wow. i was right behind you know i was right behind him so i would have the first time i probably would have gotten to him in time but, you know, the second time it was literally like I got to him a little bit too late and he went under and I caught him by the antenna on his garment. Holy cow. You know, so, you know, save that dog's life. Absolutely. I mean, he was he was in trouble. Like I, pull, I pulled him out and, you know, sort of flung him up onto the bank and and he puked out a gallon of water and sort of stumbled to his feet, vomited again, sort of staggering around and then put his nose down and started trying to work again because we were on like he had he had tangled with this fox gotcha earlier and it, this the foxes here they're they're scary smart man people give you know this what it did was it it he caught it out he caught it in a ditch it had hidden in a ditch in a big field and he caught it down in that ditch and they they tussled down in there and then when I got on the scene, Buzz sort of paused from roughing this fox up and looked at me, which gave the fox the opportunity to run. And it ran down to the river, which is partially frozen over, and started doing zigzags across the river. Wow. And Buzz went in and I, you know, I got down there just as he was managing to pull himself back out again. Uh, and then he, that fox was standing about uh, 200 yards down the river looking, sort of seeing, did I, did I, did I lose him? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Sees him coming, takes off, immediately starts doing these zigzags again. And then Buzz went in again. And, um, you know, the snow was deep. It was wet. It was just, it was just, it sucked. And I knew he'd gone in and I was just doing everything I could to get there. And, uh, and by the time I got there, he was, uh, yeah, he, he, he was going under. And if it hadn't been for the Garmin, I, I, you know, I wouldn't have gotten to him in time. I wouldn't have known that he'd, right. I wouldn't have seen that he was in the middle of the river. I wouldn't, you know. Right. So it's, you know, they, when, when the old timers, they're absolutely right. You know, we are extremely lucky. We're extremely fortunate to be hounds no today in this day and age. Um, and we've, uh, I, I think we've had the benefit of you know, a lot less, a lot less heartbreak than those guys had to put up with, you know, dogs, never coming back and never getting answers of where, where they ended up and that kind of thing. Right. Um, you know, but at the same time, I think, you know, just like any tool, you, you have to know how to use it. And it doesn't mean that you can forsake every other aspect of what those old guys did. Correct. You know, cause I had a, I had a conversation with um, John Clay about this and it's actually the same con 
pretty much the exact same conversation with Ed Vance about this. And, you know, those guys have so much knowledge that predates the garments. Right. That is still so relevant in a way that I think a lot of people don't understand how relevant it actually is. Right. You know, because it's, it's these little things about how you train, you know, how you, how you break a dog off the trash, how you get a dog to start coming into you, you know, all of these little, you know, cause now you can depend on the Garmin. Whereas, you know, similar to what you were talking about, you want to have that foundation, you know, you and I want to have that foundation where you've got things right. you can go back to these fail safes. And that's what these guys had. It's basically all they did was build these fail safes into their packs. Right. So when things went, you know, pear shaped, it wasn't yeah. the end of the world. Right. Uh, yeah. I think it makes us better houndsmen to know, to have, to, to gain some of that knowledge that they have and incorporate it. And it makes better dogs, I think too. And in the long run, at mm. the end of the day, I think if you just cut him loose and go find him with the garment and never teach him to come back or never teach him to, you know, how to get in and out of some places safely, <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. No, I, I agree. I was actually just having a conversation last night at the range with uh, a guy who's got uh, like a den, an earth dog, like a den dog. All right. Fox something. And he's super frustrated because he was saying that um, on the first Fox that that dog denned, the dog got stuck. Shoot. So they needed to bring in an excavator and dig the dog out that's crazy and since then the dog has been unwilling to come out because it's like oh they're gonna come and get me they're gonna come get me (laughs) right so he's super frustrated because now he's had to dig that dog out with an excavator like four or five times oh shoot so i mean he's a he's a machinery operator but he's it's gotten to the point where he's like god damn you know i'm 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 considering just driving around with my excavator on my trailer (laughs) you know this sucks that's crazy that's you know, crazy the dogs learn man they if you go and if you go you know if you try if you drive 50 miles and pick them up right i have sat i have sat for entire days and waited for dogs to come back to me come back because i am unwilling to go and get them go get them if i have yeah. to i will but i want that dog to follow its trail back to me to come back back you know, because I it was I don't remember who it was that said it, but somebody said I would rather I would rather take a dog hunting than have a dog take me hunting. Take me hunting, yeah. And it's, I, uh, I had to learn that the hard way with some of the hounds because I was there was some country we were hunting in that were these big canyons with a lot of cliff faces, and the dogs that got down in there, maybe got hung up. They needed to trail themselves back up the way they went in. Yeah. Otherwise they would just get cliffed up and couldn't get out, you know? And so I, what I, I was trying to haul them down maybe a different way that they had actually went in. Cause I, I was there closer on the road, sitting there with my truck. And what I did is I hollered those dogs to the truck and ended up getting them cliffed up where if I'd have just been quiet and oh, let them gotcha. figured it out, they'd have come back up their back trail and they'd have been okay. So it's funny, those small little things that you don't think are, you know, not a big deal because you can look on your Garmin and you're like, oh yeah, they can come to me. Well, yeah. what you don't see is the little stuff that they, you know, 
the 20 foot drop off right there that you can't see on the Garmin. Yeah. They 100%. can't get off of there without breaking their neck. So a hundred percent. Yeah. I had to learn that one the hard way. Let them come back out. <laughs> I did have a dog though, went into a roadless area. She chased a bear. She would not come off. She had a ton of heart. She was a, she was a, she's a great, she was a great hound. Um, but her feet were bad. And mm. so she was in there on the third day of the garment started dying on me. And I'm like, okay, I got to go get her. She just laid up, you know, and she mm. wasn't kind of, and she was way back in there. I mean, she was in an area that anyway, I, I think I got a few miles from her on the four wheeler and then walked and hiked in there and got her. And, oh man, but it was, her feet were just thrashed. I, I had to put a leash on her and leash her, you know, and just kind of walk her out of there nice and slow. And yeah, again, it's nice to have a dog that's leash trained because that would have really sucked to walk four miles on a dog with a leash that fought me the whole way for, oh, that would have just fr so frustrating. <laughs> I've got yeah. a bird dog in right now, but <clears throat> that can't, he, he has zero respect for the leash or the long line. I think he's just, you know, the guy has a gar he has a Garmin and he's, they go for runs and when he's tired, he goes back home and he's got the Garmin to make any, any immediate corrections he needs to, but like working him on a long line or a leash, it's the dog's almost a year old and he has no respect. And so my shoulders are just aching today. Cause that dog That's ripped no my good, arms man. one way and then the other. That's so no it's good, like, man. yeah, it's like teach it when they're 10, 12 weeks, how to walk on a leash and it's not that big a deal and then they Absolutely. you know they keep it forever and that 100 then when you have a 60 year old or a 60 pound one-year-old dog that's super strong i mean he's just dragging me all over yeah 100 yeah i mean it's a i had a uh, doug mcmahon talked about that where he had this i think it was a black and tan and he fought that dog away from every tree and eventually that dog ended up sending him just ass over tea kettle yeah down this embankment and he landed on his head and the dog was still on top of him trying to get away from him oh. back up to the train he was like i'm done i am just done with this not gonna hunt that dog anymore yep. i think we've all been there man you know where it's just like you know yeah the uh i'm still one of the one of the one of the things i'm most thankful for in my in my start in the hounds is that i didn't start with a pup yeah, that I, I started with a really, a really intense adult cool. that had a lot of bad habits. <laughs> and, you know, in, in for, for some people that wouldn't have worked, but for me, it worked out really well because I was able to, it really made me think from the first step, nothing was straightforward. I had to be That's so true. deliberate with everything I did everything. with that dog and you know, kind of learn how to avoid and then unlearn sort of these things that triggered some pretty absurd behaviors. Huh. Um, I bet there's some listeners that would like to go into some of those things. We'll have yeah. to get back. We'll have to get back together again and go through some of those. Cause I know there's guys I get, I'm starting to get some questions now doing this with, with W about, yeah. Hey, I've got this one-year-old that's doing this. How do I fix it? So that might be fun. That would be really fun. Yeah. I would love to do, I would love to do that. And, you know, but, uh, or I, I would love to, he, I would love to talk about it. The, the thing is, right. is that, you know, all of these, the things that have worked for me uh, aren't necessarily going to work 
for, for other people or their, or other dogs, you know, I've, I've worked with the individuals that I've had and, you know, I, I would be hesitant about taking my advice if I was any of my listeners, just based on my experience, you know, it's like, okay, yeah. I've done, I've had dogs for years and years. That's, that's one thing I've trained dogs for 25 years. Sure. But the hounds is still a new thing for me. And I'm, 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 you know, I, we're getting the job done. I'm, I'm enjoying the process. I have an interest for this. I'm constantly right. trying to learn every, every time I talk to somebody, you know, like yourself, I, I feel like I walk away, um, you know, with a, with a slightly better equipped toolbox when right. it comes to dealing with this kind of stuff. But, you know, I'm happy to share my, uh, I'm happy to share my experiences, but, uh, I don't want anybody to take, uh, to confuse my <laughs> experiences with advice. Yeah. I think I'm the last person right. to do when it comes to this stuff. So. What I have, what I have found out though, is, you know, training dog, dog, being a dog man, um, it does carry, there is, there are some things that are universal, right? 100%. That hand, that handle is one of those things like okay. getting in and out of the truck, getting around recall, um, manners, you know, just teaching a dog how to be a gentleman, mm-hmm. those kind of things they carry forward. Yeah. Maybe we're not the best houndsmen out there, but as far as t- is, I think one of the things that makes really good dog men or good dog trainers is people that can try to get in that dog's head and try yeah. to think why is that dog doing ABC? Right. What set, what's the trigger or what's what, you know, really good dog trainers are able to, to try to think like a dog. And then like, you're trying, like you're saying, I had a dog that was super intense, but we had all these things going on. Mm-hmm. I guarantee that your past helped you go, okay, I can figure out how to work this dog through this now. Absolutely. It was the only, it was my past, you know, my, my, not my confidence in any ability to train a hound specifically, but my uh, confidence no. in my ability to put a handle on a dog and actually put my, you know, figure out, figure that dog out, you know, figure, right. that figure out why, out, how he ticks, yep. um, which is why I took her, you know, and, um, and, you know, she, she still does things occasionally that I'm just like, what in the world is she thinking? <laughs> And it takes me a little while to figure it out. You know, I, the, the first day she got to me, I, I, I brought her, you know, I, I brought her home. We, we kind of got her settled in. She was just stuck to me like crazy glue. Um, so I was like, okay, this is a good start. This dog is, you know, already bonding with me. Now I'm going to take her out and just, just whatever she does, I'm not going to care. Right. I'm just going to, I'm just going to let her have a little bit of freedom because she'd been in the barn for months. Wow. And I brought her up to the mountains where I had kind of a good view of where she was going to be. I knew I could get to her if she got out of, if she got out of hand, um, the bunch of roads and things like that. And I let her go and she took one look at me and then just peeled out in a straight line and ran five kilometers away from me. Uh, like at this point, I'm thinking, uh, this may have been a mistake. That was a big, maybe. And then she turns around at like 5.3 kilometers, turns around and runs just as fast in her own tracks all the way back to me. Right. And then would not leave my side for the next six months. Wow. I could not get that dog to, 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 to do anything yeah she would follow me wow 
And so what, what ended up happening is, you know, we, uh, we ended, I ended up doing a lot of tracking, just following with her, just kind of futzing around behind me. She, I could tell she wanted to, but she would back off. And I started doing some digging and sort of found out some of her background and some of the things that, you know, the, the guy I got her from, he, he had, he had tried her and she'd gone out and run roe deer and he really kind of wanted her for breeding anyway. So he put a puppy litter on her and then I, then I'd gotten her. He hadn't used any time really on, on any training thing. But when I got sort of dug up the guy who had her before, who had actually hunt, you know, hunted quite a bit with her and found out how he had gone about it. Suddenly she made sense to me. Yeah. And just having that knowledge um, of, you know, why she was afraid to go away from me, why she wouldn't open up on a track, you know, things like that helped right. me get her to the point where now she'll, you know, now I can't catch her, you know, now she'll, she'll dodge around me and she's, you know, opens up, you know, she's, she's come so far. She's still right. by far the worst hound I have. <laughs> she's come so far. <laughs> well, kudos to you, man. Cause that, yes, I don't know. That takes a ton of patience just to get a dog that won't leave your side. Yeah. That, working, that took a lot working, of patience. Yeah. Yeah. That would be super frustrating. But you know, at the same time I, I saw, I saw the value in what I was doing just in the sense that I, I saw really early on that this, this is a dog that is going to be, if I can get through some of this with her, right. That's going to set me up. I'm going to learn so much from this dog and her demons her quirks yep that um this is this is going to be really invaluable knowledge and experience for me which is no gave me the motivation to stick with it you know even if even if it meant that our first two seasons we wow. only got a single fox and that one was kind of a that one was so gangrenous from um mange Oh. that I'm pretty sure I could have I, using my nose. I probably could have tracked it without her. Could have found it. Yeah. It was bad. Dang it. Uh, but um, yeah, now she's, she's uh, gotten all of her confidence back. I think I've actually created a monster because now she's, now she's running just, she's the trashiest dog I've ever seen. In my life. <laughs> oh my God. Funny. So that's, that's, hilarious. that's what we're working on now is the trash, the trash running. What was it that, clicked for her to to go from being behind you not wanting to leave your side what was it that finally kind of got her to go and put her nose to a track and move out um what what i did with her was she would follow behind me and that wasn't working because she 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 was very interested in the track she was you know had her nose in there and and but she didn't have the confidence to go ahead of me so what i did is i i stopped hunting her entirely but started running um, blood trails with her. Oh, I'd lay blood trails and then let her on a, put her on a long line, put her on a harness, you know, put a harness and a garment on her, even though, you know, I had a, I had a, right. I had her on a long line and just get her, give her that confidence that she was still connected to me, but allowing her to go in front of me or insisting right. that she went in front of me. Right. And starting with that, where I was more or less, you know, kicking her in the heels as we walked to her going a little bit in front of me, a little bit farther, all, you know, eventually working to the end of the long line. And then, 
you know, uh, eventually doing, you know, five or six of those with, and I made them fairly complicated and fairly long and did a bunch of those, um, where I had the long line honor, but never touched it. And then eventually graduated towards, um, you know, graduated back towards the tracking where I had the same setup, the long line and everything expecting her to track Fox. Gotcha. With the same setup but then having yep. her in front of me with the long line. And eventually I just dropped, eventually I was able to drop the long line and just sort of slowly worked, you know, one small, one yep. small victory at a time exactly. towards where she was happy. She, she knew she needed to be in front of me. She knew that, that I was pleased with her when she was there without it being any kind of a negative, like, Hey, you know, kicking at her when she came up to me or something like that, right. you know? Right. Um, and, you know, then just made sure that I, you know, and at that point she was still trailing silently. She refused to open up because she had had an experience growing up where she had been, she had been hunted together with another dog. Gotcha. That would wait. He would let her do the work. And when she opened up, he would run in there, bang on her and take over the trail. Oh man. So she learned that every time she opened up, there would come yeah. this big old plot hound would come in and beat her up beat her and up. so she learned to hunt quietly right and she also because the guy had more faith in his other dog he would follow that other dog and wouldn't honor any of the tracks or any of the any of the things that she had done so she would she would go out as a pup and track something up he would never show up she'd go back to where she'd last seen him and he wasn't there So she learned that she needed to stay right on his heels or he was going to ditch her at an age where she wasn't ready to be ditched. Yes. Mentally, she wasn't ready to do that. Exactly. So, you know, it it made, once I knew those things, it was like, I I, I sort of knew what was motivating the behavior. Gotcha. I was able to kind of, uh, it took me, took me a while, you know, to kind of think through how I wanted to tackle this. And, um, did the blood did the blood kind of excite her a little bit more than just a uh, like a track like a scent? Um, no, not not act, no. not really. I, I could tell that you know as soon as we hit fresh tracks, she was she was electrified. You know, she was, but she was so conditioned at that point that this wasn't working that I couldn't, couldn't I couldn't just I, I couldn't get her to let go of the, all of these demons that she had. Right. So I took her and did something where I was using some of the same skills that she was going to need, but right. something that she'd never done before, something totally, totally different, different, yep. to kind of try and build up from, you know, with, with my other hounds, I've started with, with just tracks because they've had no bad experiences. I haven't needed to come in. I, you know, there's, there's a lot of roads to Rome and, and, and that was my attitude going into it is that, you know, I, I may never, ever have to train a dog to trail this way again. I may never have to use this method again, but right. You know, at least then I've got it in the back of my mind. If I have a dog that, you know, like the, like the plot, you know, got his butt kicked by a moose. Right. You know, and he's so hard headed, it doesn't seem to have had any real effect on him, but you know, it could have, it could, it could have. And then I had, then I would have had something to fall back on, you know? Sure. It's, it's these little, like I said, it, it's, it's the, what excites me about, you know, the, 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 the pure nuts and bolts aspect of it, the academic aspect of hunting uh, with hounds is, is, is building that, 
or dog training in general is, is building that toolbox of how am I going to, you yep. know, how am I going to get this dog to, to, to do what I want it to do in the most effective way. And in a way that I'm going to feel good about at the end of the day, you know, cause that's the other thing is that I can, there have been times where I've seen very clearly that I could put a stop to this right this second, but then I would have to live with myself. You know, it's, 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 that, <laughs> it's that it's, it's, it's wanting to uh, wanting to do it in a way that's going to keep me feeling good about the dog and good about, good about myself at the end of the day. Yeah, no yeah. doubt. That's, so, that's one thing that, that, um, that the method I use today is a really quiet and we use a ton of body language and a ton of nonverbal cues. That's kind of our foundation is this nonverbal way of training. Mm-hmm. And it's so subtle and so kind and quiet, which is completely opposite of a lot of the things that I learned in the beginning, you know? And so it's, it's really, it's, it's neat. It's the more tools that you can have in that tool chest to fix or help a dog learn yeah. or mold, mold the behavior, you know, then, that the more confident in you are in, in your training. Right. Are the body language stuff, is that, um, can you give me a couple examples of what you're talking about there? Yeah. So when we teach, um, one of the things, one thing that we do with the puppies when they're small and we're teaching recall and we're using kibble, yeah. we'll actually bend at our waist, which is just an inviting, an inviting body language. Yeah. Absolutely. But we do it so many times that when, I, I have the dog on the long line and I give them a little cue and I bend, they instantly just come to me. Yep. They know, they know that that bend over language, that bend at the waist is a recall cue. It's okay. a body language cue. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then um, we teach heel in a manner that's the dogs are all learning everything by body language. Mm-hmm. So like the nonverbal cues, um, when we're doing the long line work, we're doing that zigzag pattern. So every time the dog will be heading one direction, we'll let them get to the end of that rope and then give a soft cue. And then my body completely turns and I don't even look at the dog and I look off in another direction and I go that way. And so what they learn is every time that I check and look back or I see Jared going another way with his body, it becomes like this invisible line between me and them, mm-hmm. this invisible hook. And sure. so what's really nice about that is when you drop the tailgate and you go hunting the dog's hunting with you you don't have to have a ton of whistles or a ton of vocal cues saying hey i'm going this way hey i'm going that way and so just in a natural hunting pattern if you start fading off this way hunting the cover the dogs are just like tied to you and they're watching your body language Hmm. almost it's it's pretty neat to watch um those are a couple of things we give, we give some hand signals, you know, to, to tell the dog to whoa or to recall. And they pick up so fast on those visual cues and, and what your body's doing that yeah. they, they, they live in that world. They lead, they, they read body language between each other so much. Absolutely. They, they're reading you all the time, constantly. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, um, I think that our, our body language and the effect that that has on our dogs is, um, is very, very, I don't think there's a adequate level of awareness in exactly just how important that is. I, it's so hard to describe like in text or even 
it's like I had this lady that I trained her dog for her and she lives up in Kodiak, Alaska. And she flew down, flew down and pick up the dog. And we had this moment there in our training when I was showing her this nonverbal body language stuff. And you could just see it in her eyes. Like she's like, oh, she got it. It clicked in her mind. That's like awesome. I can see what you're doing. She's like, there's no way I would have ever been able to get what you're doing without coming here and visually seeing it. Yeah. And I said, I, exactly. That's why I made you fly down here because anyway, it's, it's, um, learning to talk to the dogs on that level. This might sound a little Wi-Fi ish or, or sci-fi ish or whatever, but sure. when you get to that level where you can communicate with a dog and you're not really running your mouth, yep. man, it, it's like, it's a whole nother level of communication and they, they retain that so well. They, they retain it very well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I could not agree. I could not agree more. Um, you know, I was, I was very fortunate early on in my, early on in my dog mushing, um, career to, um, be, be associated with somebody who was very, very aware because of some of the, because of some of her background working with, with troubled youth, mm. very, very aware of what, especially traumatized youth and the body language cues that they'll pick up on that might trigger some behaviors. You bet. She transferred that into her sled dogs. And then, you know, I was able to observe that and, and also talk to her um, and get some guidance from her and exactly how those things were uh, applicable to what we were doing. And, and I uh, was very, very fortunate because that has made my life so much easier. It's like, it's like learning a different, it's, it's like learning a different language. I mean, it's like it you suddenly start speaking their language. Yep. And it's, um, you know, I, I've, I, I had a conversation with a guy who, you know, he, um, his dog had gone out and done what I thought was a decent day's work, you know, wasn't the best dog in the world. Um, and you know, he, she came in and she, we were at the, at the cemetery at the edge of this big field standing on a, a, a stone wall waiting for this dog to get back. Mm. And she was just kind of taking her time. We're watching the GPS and this guy was getting more and more frustrated with her. Right. And wasn't yelling or anything like that was keeping his cool. And, you know, she, she pops out of the trees, maybe a hundred yards away, takes one look at this guy <laughs> And he doesn't open his mouth. He doesn't say anything. Say he doesn't anything. raise his arms. He doesn't, you know, doesn't shake his hand. You know, it's right. not like a cartoon shaking his fist at a you know, cloud of right. dust. But she was just like, nope, nope, this is not happening. Yep. And he said, you know, he, he just got so frustrated. And I was like, he's like, I don't understand that. Sometimes she does that. She'll just look at me and decide not to. And I said, man, if I saw you the, standing the way you are right now at a hundred yards, I wouldn't go up to you either. Yep, exactly. You know? And he, uh, I said, if you want that dog to get come to you, you sit, you sit down with your back against that wall, wow, right. light a cigarette, and just yep. you need to take it easy, and she'll come right. to you. Right. And he he did that, and you know the dog sort of peeked out from another angle, you know having run through the woods to sort of check out, you know, scope it out from another angle, saw him sitting down smoking and just beelined it right for him. Right came, no issues whatsoever. And it's just, it's, 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 it's little things like that. Just, 
the oh, difference yeah. between standing and sitting down or standing and leaning. It's just, it's, it's amazing. The difference. Yep. They, they, when you work with a dog a lot too, like Emma, Emma's our personal dog up here at the house. Mm. She can read me like a book, man. And if I come through the door and I've had a bad day, she's just like, huh, I'm just going to sit over here on place. So I'm not, I'm yeah. not doing anything like until you go, you know, have some dinner and cool off or whatever. They, they are so in tune. They are not only, not only can they read your body language, you know, they can sense your anxiety, your frustration, your confidence, your lack of it, whatever. I, Absolutely. I try to tell a lot of people that we work with, you know, um, they're like, I'm doing the same things you're doing. And I'm like, yeah, but you're doing it without any confidence in your step. And, right. and they're like, well, what does that have to do with it? And I'm like, oh, it has a lot to do with it. The dogs, the dogs know when your confidence isn't there, that they're just like, yeah, he doesn't know what he's doing. Right. And I mean, it's, it's to, to me, it's as big a difference between in, in terms of conveying information to the dog, it's as big a difference between talking face to face and texting you might be saying the same stuff that's a great way to put it but i'm gonna get a much much better idea what you're talking about if we're talking face to face yes and it's it's i i I, i wish that more people understood that and i wish that i understood it more better myself you know yeah um because i i'm sure that i very frequently send mixed messages to my dogs where I'm saying one thing, whereas where my body language in their mind is telling them something else. Definitely don't do this. (laughs) Right. It's like, I don't know if you should do that. Get over here. It's like, I don't really think that's right. Yeah. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? That, that guy on the wall, that's a perfect example. Yeah. Yep. No, absolutely. It is. Well, we're up at about an hour and a half and I could keep doing all night here but we're gonna have to uh, we're gonna have to do a couple of these jared yeah man this is a lot of fun a lot of this is a lot of fun i appreciate a lot of gold a lot of gold nuggets in this conversation yeah this is a this is a fun one i appreciate uh, i appreciate the uh you sharing some of your knowledge with me it's uh you bet i really enjoy this dog stuff and uh you know every time i can make their lives a little better by making myself a little bit better is a is a good uh that's a good deal yeah no doubt i think we that's it we can always learn something you know we're always learning we're always getting a little bit better or and then like you said you have a challenge with a dog that most people probably would have walked away from and now you've got you've turned her into a hound so that's you know that speaks volumes about you and who you are and what you know what you're capable of doing and yeah, well, I, I appreciate just, you just, that. Just yeah. you as a person, man. I, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm at a point in my life. I don't know that I would have the patience to do that right now, just because I have so many dogs that we're trying to work with. But yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm the same. That's a I'm huge kudos. The same way uh, at this point. You know, now I've got two yeah. younger hounds. That was a, that was a very deliberate choice. Sure. Because at that point in my life, with my health the way that it was and everything. I had the opportunity to do that opportunity yeah. and saw the benefit. Whereas yeah. now it would be like, you know, I just sure. I, and there are, you know, there are times where she gets, you know, she still has a week where I won't do anything with her because, yeah. you know, life is busy with work and kids and two other, <laughs> two other dogs to train and, you know, all this stuff. It's yeah, it just, um, you know, it's, 
I don't I don't want to go out with a dog if I'm not going to be able to give her, you know, my sure my all my undivided attention. You, know? you bet. So well, great, man. I appreciate this a lot. We will. You, uh, you guys have a good evening. You too, man. See ya. Man, I love that sound.